Well, good morning again, and I want to welcome everyone back. If this is, maybe you were here with us on Easter, and you're like, eh, they weren't so bad, I'll come back. If that's you, we're glad that you're with us. And if you have just decided that we are your brand of church, then we're glad you're here too. We are kicking off a brand new sermon series that we are really excited about. Now, sometimes we preach uh, through sections of scripture. We've just come out of the gospel of Mark, and we did that all through Lent. And then other times, we do things kind of based on the season of the year. So as we get close to Christmas and into Advent, we preach on things related to that. And then other times, we preach on what we think is just going to be really important to um, us as a community and us as a congregation. And we thought as we come out of Easter and into the end of the school year, we had an idea, we had a little bit of a hunch as to kind of collectively where everybody might be. And so over the next several weeks, we're going to talk about this idea of breathing room. And I'm going to let you in on kind of behind the scenes on how the sausage gets made on sermon writing. So typically what we try to do is to create a little bit of tension. We want to set up kind of the current condition of our lives, of the world, that isn't the way that it should be. And we do this through statistics, through anecdotes, through examples. We share these things so that you kind of internally and externally start to nod like, yeah, that's right, things are terrible, which in some ways they are. I'm like ruining all future sermons. You're like, well, I'm out. And then we talk about how it should look different. But the most important part is to set up the collective agreement that we all have around the way that things currently are and how they need to change. And so I was going to show up with all of these statistics about how busy our lives are, about how frenetic we live, about how we have no financial margin. We have very little emotional margin beyond kind of our current thresholds, how we have maxed everything to its possible limits. And in some cases, and maybe in lots of cases in your life, we are spilling out over the top. And I was going to really try to hammer home statistics that convince you that this is true. And I don't think I need to do that this morning. My guess is if your life looks like mine, you're already there, you're already aware, and can maybe a better question is, is, is there actually any possibility for it to look different? Now, one of my favorite things to read uh, in free time, which uh, happens less and less, and I'm just as guilty of this sermon series as y'all are, so I'm preaching to myself mostly, but... In my free time, one of the things I love to read are survival stories. I love these stories of like people who have navigated like Antarctica or get trapped in the Arctic ice caps or you know, people who have been lost at sea for 400 days. All these things I find fascinating. I'm just curious about the psychology of those situations and how people have gotten out of them. And one of the stories that I read recently was about uh, an explorer. This is kind of in the heights of like British colonialism. And he goes down to Africa to kind of go into the heart of the jungle. And he gets a whole bunch of porters, and they're going to carry all of his supplies and his team with him. And so then they march into the depths of the jungle for like, you know, four or five days straight. You know, long days, sleepless nights, you know, high level of physical exertion, you know, poor food, difficult conditions, all of the bugs, the flies, the heat, all of the things that you would imagine, you know, kind of in the middle of, you know, the 1800s and marching in through the middle of an African jungle. And then one morning he wakes up and he's like trying to rally everyone to kind of continue the march and the porters refuse to move forward. 
and he starts to kind of beg and plead and conjole, and then he tries to like bribe, and he's trying to do anything in his power to get this group of porters to continue the journey with him, and they won't do it. And so he's like kind of come to the end of his ability and his like ways of trying to manipulate and coerce somebody to do something that clearly they don't want to do. And so finally, in the midst of all the frustration and, you know, kind of the exhaustion that he has with them not wanting to move any further, he asks, well, why? Why won't they move? And, you know, you kind of have to do the translation, you know, the game of telephone where someone says to this person or that person. And finally, the word gets back to him. And the answer is this. They're waiting for their souls to catch up to their bodies. They're waiting for their souls to catch up to their bodies. And my guess is we're all doing the same thing. And here's how I think this is probably true. Here's why I know that this is probably true. Because most of you, when I see you on Sunday morning, and I'm like, how are you? You either say, I'm good or busy. How you been? Busy. Yeah, what you been doing? Working, or we've been busy with school, or we've been busy with the answer, and kind of casual conversation is always busy. This is why when we can remember back to daylight savings time when it happens in the fall and we get that extra hour of sleep, it's like the greatest thing that has happened to us. Like, why does that feel so good? Or if somebody cancels a meeting that you didn't want to go, go to, or if a business trip gets canceled that you were like uh, dreading going on, it feels, it feels like one of those Monopoly get-out-of-jail cards. Why? Because we're waiting for our souls to catch up to our bodies. And this doesn't just happen with our calendars. This happens in our finances. We have maxed ourselves out to the limit. Consumer debt is at record highs. Here's one statistic. I'm, I lied. I'm going to give you a statistic anyway. I was kind of trying to do the math. And so if you take all of the consumer debt and then you divide it by the number of people that there are in, in the United States, the average person... Man, woman, and child, independent of age, if you include everybody, each person has about $10,000 in consumer debt. That's just consumer debt. That doesn't include your mortgage. That doesn't include student loans. That's just like credit card debt. So sweet Ray, who we just baptized, but he's got $10,000 when you do the math per person. Sorry. We have maxed out every part of our lives. We are running and striving and trying and everything feels so full and so busy and so hard that we're trying to manage more than we can manage. And our souls are struggling to catch up to our bodies. And so for the next several weeks in the, middle of this, in the midst of this series, we're going to talk about this idea of breathing room. And this is the definition that we're going to be working with. Breathing room is the space between your current load and your limits. It's that extra space between what we're capable of handling and then what would feel like too much for us to handle. And you can apply this to your life as a whole. You can apply this to the different segments and categories of your life. But it is the space between your current load and your limits. So the, for those of you who try to fit that one last thing in and you think that you have time to do the thing that's only going to take 10 minutes, but everybody else in your family knows is going to take 30 minutes and you do it anyway. No breathing room. When you open another credit card, 
because you are trying to play that, you know, move money from this credit card to the other credit card because there's no interest on this credit card and so you can do kind of, you can transfer the whole amount to that card and then you keep jumping around from interest only to interest only to interest only. No breathing room. When you snap at your family and your kids because you are stressed out because of what's happening at work, because they're always calling and always requiring more and more and more of your time and you go on vacation, you're not able to put it down. You just need to get to a little bit more work so then you can be with your family, but you never get to be with your family. And when you are with your family, they don't actually want you to be with your family. They're like, never mind, we changed our mind, go back and just go back to work. No breathing room. This affects all of us. And some of us may be in different ways, but all of us collectively We have lost the space between our load and our limit. We are right on the edge. If you were into cars and automobiles and machinery, which I'm not, so if I stumble through this, it's going to be evident. We are always redlining. RPMs are at their highest. Like we can't go any further and we stay there. And what happens if you stay there? The engine overheats, blows up. And that's what happens to our lives. When you stay at that place where you're constantly trying to do more and more and more with less and less and less, at some point the calculus doesn't work. And so that's what we're going to talk about in all of these different categories over the next several weeks. And so if you're like, I'm not sure if that applies to me this morning, if you're uncertain, if you're kind of victim to the absence of margin and breathing room in your life. I've got a little inventory for you to do this morning. Uh, I'm doing more of these because we all love knowing more about ourselves. And so here's how you can know if you need more breathing room. You can do this for yourself. You can do this for a loved one that you are sitting next to if you would like a long, silent car ride home after church is over or an awkward lunch. Here we go. You know you need more breathing room if you're always irritable. You get mad, frustrated, or annoyed too easily. Little things irk you. Everything that anybody says is dumb or stupid. You're just constantly annoyed at the world or the people closest to you. You just need space from them because how, whatever they are being, you're just always irritable. You're hypersensitive. Everything upsets you, disturbs you. You get frustrated by things easily that feels like irritable, but it's slightly different. You're maybe overly emotional and particularly sensitive to comments. You're kind of like people have to walk around on eggshells around you because they never know what's going to either set you off via irritability or hurt your feelings through hypersensitivity, but you're always hypersensitive. Or you're restless. And so when you do push pause, you don't know what to do with yourself. You fidget. You're the person that likes to max out their vacation by programming it full of things because you don't know how to stop. You try to pray and you make grocery lists. You try to meditate and you think about all of the ways that you're not doing a good job meditating. You try to rest and you lie awake and you scroll or you do whatever you need to do to distract yourself from the fact that you can't get your mind and maybe your body to stop. You're never present because you're always moving. 
nonstop activity. Can't stop, won't stop. Now, this can manifest in lots of different ways. You can overmanage your family. You can invest yourself in careerism and workaholism. But there always has to be something going on. You're like a shark, and you can't stop moving or you die. At least it feels that way. Next one, emotional numbness. You just, I'm out. You just catatonic. There's no kind of light behind the eyes because you have just reached this place of overwhelm and overload. Your priorities are out of order. You don't feel a sense of purpose and identity and calling to the things that you're actually doing. You bemoan your job that you hate, that you continue to have to spend more and more time and effort and energy into, knowing that it's just sucking your soul away. No breathing room. A lack of care for your physical body. You fall victim to this chronic need to add more and to do more, and so the way that you compensate for that is you sleep less, and you don't take care of yourself, and you break microphones when they continue to pop as you're trying to talk. Uh-huh. But you, you start to neglect your health. Maybe you, you kind of move to the cheap foods, and you medicate, and you kind of consume kind of the four horsemen of the you know, American Western diet, Caffeine, alcohol, processed carbs, and sugar. That kind of forms the basis of your diet. You do that? Yeah. Because you're not able to take care of your body. Last, escapist behaviors. You're just trying to distract yourself from all that's going on and all of the stress and all of the anxiety and all of the worry that you feel. And so whether it's with drug or alcohol or TV or relationships, you are just trying to numb and distract yourself. Okay, how do we do? Anybody eight of eight? I know, I know. So here's, here's how this list uh, kind of came to me. Um, I did not come up with this list, but I have recently lived this list. And the people in my family can attest to this. And I think I've lived all eight of these in the last 72 hours. So I did this dumb thing where uh, several, several, several months ago we did the sermon series, um, kind of science of the soul, and I talked about emotions and all of the different emotions that we had, and then I showed that feelings wheel. Maybe some of you remember the feelings wheel or you know about the feelings wheel. So I was like, well, let me get some for the family. That'd be good. We could just pull these out at dinner, talk about these. So I did that, and they came in the mail, and then we started to talk about what feelings we felt, and everybody was fine, and then it got to my turn. And they're just waiting because they already know all of the answers that it takes me longer to learn. And so I'm like, I'm irritable. I am frustrated. I am, and I just, it just got worse and worse and worse because over the last week, I've done a lousy job of creating space between my load and my limits. So we come off of Easter, that's a big high. And then what I did is I said yes to all of these really, really good things. And they just piled up and piled up and piled up. And I can justify every single one of them. All of the things that I said yes to, all of the meetings, all of the planning sessions, all of the check-ins, all of the conversations that I did, all of the dinners and events that I went to this week. I even did like a continuing education thing for the last two and a half days. All really good stuff, like really good stuff. And I am so mad I did all of it. 
Like I'm just irritable and I'm mad at the world, but really I'm mad at myself because I, I don't have any space. I don't have any breathing room. And like I'm trying to be all these other places and I know I got to write this sermon on breathing room, but I don't have any time to write this sermon on breathing room. And so I'm just mad. And so I'm like venting to my wife and she's like, well, why don't you just talk about this? And I'm like, I don't need your help in my sermon. <laughs> And so for those of you who are like, gosh, it must be so nice to be married to a pastor. It is not. <laughs> Pray for her. I mean, but come on. This isn't just me. It's all of us. We know this. We live this every single day. We don't know how to stop. We're constantly striving and chasing and trying to achieve and to do more and to add more and all of the mores we can justify. We chase after them because we think that they're going to make things better. And maybe in some ways they do, but at what cost? We live in a world that prioritizes and rewards effort and hustle to do more, to be more, to accomplish more, to gain more, to get approved to do more and more and more. And the more and more and more is leaving us with less and less and less. And so... Our souls are trying to catch up with our body. And if I had to quickly diagnose this, just the whole problem in general, I think the desire for more is actually rooted in a fear of being without. And I think the fear manifests in lots of different ways for us. And so if you quickly kind of inventory the places in your life where it feels like you don't have a breathing room, my guess is the thing behind the thing if you were to press into that soft, uncomfortable spot in your life, you would find that all of the desire and the striving and the chasing and the accomplishing and the achieving and the adding is based in a fear. Maybe it's a fear of missing out. Maybe it's a fear of not belonging. Maybe it's a fear of falling behind or of not mattering or of failing. But ultimately, it's all driven by a fear. In our world, and our culture, and our society, it is so good at convincing us that we have all of these reasons to be afraid and all of these reasons to chase after more and more and more. You will never see an advertisement on TV, print, or social media that says, you're great just as you are. You'll never hear that message. You'll never hear the message, you don't have to change. You are beautiful just as you are. You don't need a better house or a nicer car or a greater job or to weigh less or to be taller or to be thinner. You'll never hear those messages. You'll never hear the you are enough message. And that's how they keep us on the hook. That's how they keep us chasing after all of these things and adding to all of these things because we're afraid that the messages that they're saying are true. And because of that, the world just gets faster and faster and faster and busier and busier and busier. I guess after all, I ended up trying to convince you that things are really bad. But it's not what we'd want. If we could choose, we'd choose different. And I think ultimately that's the push and pull of this whole series is we hear this and we're like, ah, a different way would be so nice. But that, that won't work for my family. I wish that was true. Oh, that's such a nice biblical ideal. Ah, oh, good for Jesus. But that won't work in my family. 
if you knew all of the commitments we've made, if you knew all of the activities that we're involved in, if you knew how important I was at work, if you knew who I was in my community and in my circle, you would know this doesn't work for me. And you know what? You're right. It doesn't. It's not supposed to. If we continue to do the things that we're doing, if we continue to live the way that we're living. And so what it requires is us actually doing the thing that nowhere else in our world will reinforce. It requires us to prioritize differently, to say no to things, to leave margin on the edges, to back off our limits, and to create some breathing room in our lives. I love this quote by Thomas Friedman. He uh, wrote this really great book called Thank You for Being Late. And he kind of talks about how our society is just speeding up and speeding up and speeding up. And this is what he has to say about the world and about what we do in the midst of a rapidly changing and busier life. He says this. He says, when everything is accelerating around you, it's easy to feel like you're falling behind. But the truth is, and the truth that advertising won't reveal to you and that 24-hour cycle news won't share with you is that everyone feels this way. Everyone feels overwhelmed by the pace of change. And the only way to stay sane in a hyper-connected world is to recognize your limitations and focus on the things that matter most. We can't do everything, but we can do the things that are most important. Now, he's not a Christian author or writer. He's just somebody who's kind of surveying the world at large and the rate of change and the busyness of people's lives. And he says, you have to recognize your limitations and to focus on the things that matter most. And it's going to require a different way of living. It's going to require a different pattern of behavior. And it's one that we're going to unpack over the next several weeks because it's not intuitive. And it's not reinforced by our society. And no one will say, good for you for setting limits. Good for you for setting boundaries. Everyone in your life, all of the people who like how busy and productive and more that you are, will not like you to change. Because that'll mean they don't get the same access to you the way that they did. You won't be as productive as you were. You won't have the margin that you need. They don't want you to change. They want you to stay exactly like you are. Our systems are designed to get us the results we're currently getting. And we're all a part of systems that are leaving us in this very place. But there is a way out. And this isn't a new way out, but it requires a new way of living. There's a passage in scripture that maybe you're familiar with where Jesus invites us into a different rhythm, into a different pace and way of living, and I want to share it with you. This is what he says in Matthew. He says, Come to me, all you who are weary and carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Come to me, all you who are weary and carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Or in the language of those African porters, your soul will catch up to your body. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. 
Maybe you've heard that before. Maybe you've heard Jesus say that, and that feels like a nice platitude that maybe can go on a coffee mug or a bumper t- sticker or you know your grandma's pillow that's on her couch. But I think in it, there is an invitation. And it's twofold, and it requires us to know something a little bit about that word yoke that Jesus uses over and over again. Now, in that first century, there were lots of teachers. And these rabbis, these teachers, all had kind of a philosophy of life, a rule of life, a way that they guided people to live. Kind of a a description, a set of guidelines and principles that kind of outlined and created the framework and the structure for what it means to be human, how to live into the fullness of life. That was not unique to Jesus. Lots of rabbis had this. But what it was called back then was a yoke. It was kind of their way of explaining to people, hey, when you take my yoke upon you, this is what it looks like to live in the manner and in the example of what I'm suggesting you do. Now, the only difference between Jesus and all of the other rabbis and teachers at that time period was not that he had a yoke, but how he describes his yoke. He says, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. Instead of an ever-increasing amount of rules and guidelines to kind of instruct your morality, more and more things to do and accomplish in a narrower and narrower and narrower path for you to walk. Jesus says, no, my yoke is easy. My burden's light. And then the other thing about yokes is in that time period was the way that they used yokes to train younger oxen. And this is what's interesting. You see, Jesus had people who would follow him, who would learn from him. They were called disciples. And what it meant to be a disciple was closer to, we don't have it as much today, but an apprenticeship. You would live with the teacher. You would learn from the teacher. You would imitate the teacher. And eventually, over time and over increasing exposure to the teacher, you would start to actually become like the teacher. The same thing is true for how Uh, farmers back then trained oxen. So you'd put an experienced, strong, wise, mature, working oxen in a yoke next to a younger, immature, novice oxen. Looks something like this. And what you would do is you would have the experienced oxen take the burden off the inexperienced oxen so that the inexperienced oxen could learn what it meant to work, what it meant to live under and in this particular yoke. And so the burden and the yoke for the young oxen who's learning was easy and it was light because it was overcompensated for by the way that the larger oxen operated. And so when you take these two descriptions, Jesus is trying to provide kind of a guideline and a set of kind of Um, instructions for what it means to live well in the world and this idea that there is space for us to come alongside to learn from in a less restrictive less burdensome way I want you to hear the same invitation that he gives in scripture but in a slightly different translation this is from Eugene Peterson's the message and he paraphrases the scripture in these words think about all of the busyness in your life Think about all of the places where you long for your soul to catch up to your body and then hear the same invitation from Jesus. Are you tired? Worn out? Burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me. 
and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. And watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. This is, this is what we're headed towards, what it looks like to live freely and lightly, to learn the unforced rhythms of grace. And over the next several weeks, we're going to kind of dive into more specific categories and areas of our life where we don't necessarily have the breathing room that we need to live freely and lightly. And so your homework for the next week, it's real easy, real uncomfortable. Your homework for the next week is to just sit with, to talk about, to wrestle with, to reflect on, to pray about this specific question. Where do I need breathing room? Get as specific and as nuanced as you want. Where in my life do I need breathing room? If you're unsure, I am certain the people in your household know. And my guess is you know the answer for them. But where? Where has our load outpaced our limits? Where are we spread too thin? Where are the margins too tight? Where are we redlining? Where are we exhausted? Where are we trying to do more and more with less and less? And as we start to name those places, we have the ability to begin to affect and impact transformation in those places because you cannot change what you cannot name. And so as we go, think about where you need some breathing room. Let's pray. Gracious God, thank you for the opportunity to learn from you how to live freely and lightly how to learn unforced rhythms of grace and how to avoid the temptation to live without margin. God, encourage us, empower us, equip us to faithfully and fully discern where we need more breathing room in our life. God, because it's in this way that you have space to work in us and to transform us and to make us into the example of your son. We pray this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.